What's up, y'all? It's Alex Miller from The Eagle. You're listening to the Miami Nation podcast. Joining us up here, that's Travis Brown of The Eagle. He's just back home for today. So, but hey, we're here on the big screen and listening on the podcast, talking A&M men's hoops, because the Aggies, Travis, they're on a seven-game win streak, and they've started off 5-0 in SEC play now. Yeah, I mean it's been a really impressive run for uh, Buzz and his bunch. They uh, they're 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 really making a tear, and, and it's kind of some of the stuff we've talked about before. It's it's the fact I think that their game planning has been really excellent. Their their assistant coaching staff, like Buzz has said, has done a really good job of of um, of getting a, a concise and and good game plan for a bunch of these teams. And the interesting part, and something we can dig in a little bit more on, is this was the first time that they've had a mirror opponent. Um, so it's the first time that they've faced a team twice. Uh, and, and they faced Florida two weeks ago, four games ago. Um, but so they, they Florida changed this uh, considerable amount and it kind of showed in that game, but some of these mirror opponent games are going to be really interesting to watch for buzz and how this coaching staff games, game plans, because they, they have done it so well on, on first times through uh, with, with teams. Yeah, of course, a and came away with the narrow 54-52 win over the Gators. Uh, a little bit of dramatic flair toward the end, shall, shall we say, as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it was interesting. Something that I want to ask Buzz Williams about uh, moving forward that, that has in, in, interested me is the way that they use timeouts. Because, you know, you, you played – some level of basketball growing up. I did. Everybody played some level of basketball. And and there's always that idea that um, players have the ability to call timeouts in certain instances, you know, when they dive for a ball and to try, kind of call a timeout right before then, uh, when it looks like they might be getting close to five seconds, uh, throwing a ball in, maybe call a timeout. Um, I, I, I can't remember any time that an A&M player under Buzz Williams has called a timeout on the floor. I know Buzz is very mm. methodical about how he uses his timeouts. He doesn't want to use one too close to when um, there's one of the preset media timeouts because you get more bang for your buck then. Um, he wants to be judicious about that. And and they needed – well, I say that. I think because they hit free throws – um, they, they didn't necessarily needed it, but a lot of times at the end of games, he likes to do offensive defensive switches, which was what he did last night at the end there against, uh, Florida and use some of those timeouts to get the right personnel on the floor. And so not to say that a player should have called a timeout after Florida hit that three to bring it back within two, uh, buzz says he should have called a timeout and, and he did need to make a personnel swap. But what, what happened in that situation is. Henry Coleman had already fouled out. He is part of that end of game five, that that best five that they have on the floor they need out there. They had subbed out Wade Taylor, who's one of their best ball handlers, in, in favor of um, Andre Gordon, uh, who's a better defensive player. Uh, and then Andres Gar uh, Anderson Garcia was on the floor in uh, as a defensive sub in place of Henry Coleman, who had fouled out. Garcia isn't usually part of that kind of in-game press break game plan um, that that the Aggies would like to run. And he kind of got caught in a position where he wasn't accustomed. They passed the ball and it slipped through his hands. You could say that he's a basketball player. He, he's just playing pitch and catch. And he should have been able to do that if he's going to be playing college basketball. But there's something to be said about um, basketball players playing 
the, the game playing faster than it needs to be if they don't necessarily know and are comfortable in their roles. That's exactly what Buzz says has been the difference between what happened pre, uh, last year and the, the, what happened this year as far as the calendar year goes, is players knowing their roles, feeling comfortable in what they're doing and having confidence in the way they play. Some of that could have shown through in that little play. Buzz probably should have uh, called a timeout. Now, since he had, an, he had two timeouts at that time, since he had an extra timeout, when they went to a video review of that play and they went back out, he saw the look that Florida gave and he ended up calling a timeout then to, to reiterate what he told them and said, hey, if they show this look, be sure they're going there. And it worked out great. That was a good use of a timeout. So it was a little bit back and forth there. It's just a question that I have that I'm going to ask moving forward of just how much agency do players have in in calling timeouts? Because that's a that's an interesting thing that's happened a couple times. But And if you want to talk about timeouts too, go just a few plays earlier when uh, A&M has a little bit trouble setting up their offense. Or he was, they had trouble setting up their offense or a ball came off an offensive rebound, and, and Solomon Washington got the ball in the corner with a wide-open three, but he's not really a three-point shooter and, and kind of had that look. And as soon as he had that look to the basket and brought his hands up, Buzz burned a timeout quickly. That ended up uh, – he missed that three, but they got the timeout. And and with the, I think, 13 seconds they had left, Wade Taylor was able to drive in, draw a foul. And those uh, were two of the game-winning type free throws they needed to, to seal the deal. So, um, yeah, it was uh, interesting. When you talk about the drama, it was an interesting case study in good ways and bad ways to use timeouts and timeout strategy. You know, kind of, a, kind of an interesting game last night, too. I mean, in the first half, Florida, I mean, as cold as ice, trying to make a shot, literally could not buy a shot. And then, you know, whereas, you know, a week ago, AM really gets a good lead against Missouri by drawing fouls and making free throws. I mean, AM didn't even attempt a free throw until less than 10 minutes in the second half. And, uh, you know, that ended up being kind of a pivotal way that AM was able to get some points when Florida was getting going there in that second half. Todd Golden said that was that was the game plan. You is it's just you can't let AM's scorers get to the free throw line. Uh I want to say uh 25% of AM's points totals this year, as I'm gonna be looking over at my screen here to pull that up. Uh, you know, according to Ken Palm, uh 24.7% of AM's scoring makeup comes from the free throw line. That's third in the nation. They are one of the best teams at getting to the free throw line and making free throws. And because their, you know, their effective field goal percentage is 50.6, that's a little bit, just a little bit above average, but their three point percentage is 32%, well below the average. It's 262 in the nation. You, you, you could say that they're not a great shooting team, especially a great shooting team from distance, but they're really good. They make up for that for the way they do at the free throw line. They only went to the free throw line seven times yesterday in the entire game. Um, and that that's unheard of with this team where that's averaging about 24, 25 trips to the line per game. Um, so it was impressive that they were able to make up for that yesterday. And they did that with uh, rebounding uh, and, and gaining possessions that way. But um yeah, it, it was um, that was the whole defensive game plan on Florida was to stop them from getting to the free throw line. Todd Golden said in the second half, it was just about being more aggressive um, on offense, that they more aggressively got the ball into Colin Castleton, who's probably going to be an All-American uh, type player this year. I mean, uh, I think the stat he, he was the first player since Anthony Davis in 2012 to have 
15 points, 13 rebounds, and seven blocks in a game. And that's that's pretty uh, heady company when you talk about uh, SEC post players. He's going to be a good player. They were able to feed it in. There was a stretch there when they cut it down to that Castleton scored nine of their 11 points. Uh, and that's what got them back into the game. Uh, but then they did a good job late of minimizing that damage, even without Henry Coleman on the floor, who had been one of the, the defensive matchups against Castleton. Um, so... You got it. It was their second lowest uh, possession game of the season. I think it was 62 possessions. Their lowest was Northwestern State. That was in the high 50s. You got to think that with how the first game settled out and how good defense these two teams play, they had to expect that it was probably going to be a pretty low paced game. And possessions were going to be at a at a maximum, and and defense was was going to win the games. A and M's defense just stood up uh, just a little bit longer than Florida's did. You know, before we keep going, I want to I want to pause real quick. You wrote a story on Tyrese Radford uh, earlier this week, and just you know, it's on Eagle.com. Go read it there. But just wanted you to share maybe a little quick synopsis of of, of that story. Yeah, and I actually got one more quick thing about the game too that we have to raise before we kind of move on. Let's do that and then go to Tyrese. Sure. We got to give a give a shout out and a hat tip to Dexter Dennis for 16 rebounds in that game. I mean, the the guy has been unbelievable on the boards over the last uh, two well two games and really, but in, in conference play, doing the unbelievable because you you got to think and, and he's invaluable to the way that A and M plays defense. So, as anybody who follows the team knows, A and M's defense packs players into the paint and uh, tries to get teams to shoot contested three pointers because. In, in essence, it's a lower percentage shot. So you're going to probably, a going to see more than the average amount of three-point attempts. Well, when you miss a three-point attempt, it very rarely just falls straight down like a layup does to the big guys down the middle. It's going to bounce off a little bit. Well, Dexter Dennis, you, you, usually then in those instances, you have the big guys boxing guys out, keeping them from uh, to, uh, going to, the, to, to get those rebounds. And then a guard who's maybe on the offside, or who followed their guy down and low is the guy that's going to go with the rebound. Well, Dexter Dennis is usually guarding their best perimeter player. So he's going to be on the outside and more times than not, maybe getting a hand up on the guy who's shooting that three point shot. And so for him to stop, turn around and get back in to get that rebound. I mean, that's what buzz is. That's why buzz is saying what he's doing is incredible. Cause it's not just like he's the offside guard. That's just kind of standing there waiting for the ball to come to him. He's doing like, you know, uh, what we would call back in the day, the, the, the suicides, you know, touching one line, running back, touching the other one uh, and, and, and getting the ball in, in that instance. So um, he's been absolutely pivotal in what a has been able to do. I mean, I want to say after that South Carolina game, which, which they had the highest rebounding margin of, they tied the highest rebounding margin of any game that they've had since 2010. They, they had, it was a plus 20, Three, I believe, or he's 23 or 26. And that tied that what they did against Savannah State uh, in 2013. Um, but as far as power five games and conference games, they had never done that before. Uh, it was the highest margin since 2010. Uh, their offensive rebounding percentage went from like 20, 25th in the nation down to, to in the the, the single digits. And right now it sits at number eight at 37.4. If you're not going to be able to score and have a great effective field goal percentage uh, or shoot a lot of threes, you got to get those offensive rebounds to help you get high percentage shots. And that's pretty much how AM has been able to do it this year. Right. Uh, right. And, and then Tyrese Radford. Uh, exactly. Get, get it done. 
And and that's in the business is what we call a segue. Good 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 job, Alex. Uh, yeah, Tyrese Radford, a great story. Got to talk to him. Got to talk to Buzz Williams, a couple people. So, uh, Tyrese Radford, of course, was recruited up to Virginia Tech by Buzz Williams and his staff. Um, he he was a little bit of a risky prospect because he he, he was academically ineligible. He was going to have to take an academic red shirt to kind of get his grades up, so he'd be eligible to play that first year. And because of um, his, his financial situations, where he came from, he had to actually ride a bus from Baton Rouge to Blacksburg, Virginia, to to get to class and get to 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 go to school that that first year. So he came right off a bus and rolled into Blacksburg knowing that he wasn't going to play in any games. He wasn't going to travel with the team. He was just going to basically practice and be a scout team guy that first year because that's all he he eligibility wise could do. And so as a part of that that staff, that team at Virginia Tech, they had um a, a lady named Elise uh, Sevilla, I, I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name incorrectly because it's an interesting spelling, but she's an academic advisor uh, up there. And, you know, she reminded me a lot of it. I don't know if you've seen the the original seasons of Last Chance U where they had Miss Wagner, uh, who was kind of that all around. I'm going to teach you how to do your classes. I'm going to teach you life skills. I'm going to be your personal counselor. Uh, she she very much embodied that kind of person that uh, it was more than a job to her. It was a calling. And she she put in more than her fair share of hours with all of her students. But but Tyrese Radford was, was a special one. Um, so not only did they get him academically eligible in, in that redshirt year, but he graduated with his undergraduate degree in, uh, in uh, 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 human development from Virginia Tech in three years, which is not always common with with athletes, especially ones that had to take uh, an academic redshirt. And uh, she, you know, Radford got his nickname from Buzz Williams boots because he's tough as boot leather. And if you've kind of been around him, you know, he's he's stoic. He doesn't necessarily say a lot unless he has a lot to say. And she said when he first got there, I mean, she was having to talk to uh, then Virginia Tech assistant, who's now an assistant on a uh, and staff with Buzz, Devin Johnson, who was kind of in charge of recruiting and player personnel at Virginia Tech, like this guy won't talk. I, I don't know um, what to do. And, and Devin just said, stay with him. He'll, he'll open up to you. Uh, and uh, eventually he did. And she said by his last tutoring session up there with her in Blacksburg, she was like having to be like, hey, Tyrese, I love hearing you talk. Shut up for a second and do your work. And then we can talk afterwards because he just connected <laughs> so well with her. All that to be said, um, in October, last week of October, just after her 40th birthday, she said she received a diagnosis that she had stage four colon cancer that met metastasized to her liver, uh, which is a, not a prognosis anyone wants to hear, a very dangerous uh, uh, prognosis. And so first she said she texted her inner circle of, of family. And then her next is she has an inner circle of student athletes, students that she's worked with and, and friends that have moved on that she she stayed close with connected with and Tyrese was in that group. Devin Johnson was in that group and uh, Wasada Beatty, uh, who was a Virginia Tech player who came with Buzz and is now a graduate assistant on his team. And she worked with him as well in his time at Virginia Tech. They were a part of that group. Uh, you know, Tyrese Robert said he was shocked. He didn't know how to take it then. The, the good news for them is that they had that Myrtle Beach Classic uh, schedule, which games were played at Coastal Carolina, where she now works. And so she was able to go to those games, see them. They said they sat in a hotel room kind of all in a circle and just talked about 
the, the process of finding out what her future holds and everything like that and hugged and cried. And, and, you know, for someone who is so tough as boot leather, he was talking about how the, the best part of that was just getting to, to hug her and, and hold her and say, he's not letting go and he's got her and she's family. And, and that, that really kind heart and soft heart, she said frequently kind of beneath that tough leathery external, uh, facade that he puts on is a really kind, uh, soft guy. So all that being said, he was in shoot around a couple of weeks ago and, uh, told Buzz Williams, Hey, I'm going to cut my hair. And he's been growing out his dreads for three years. He said, and Williams, I was like, why are you cutting your hair? And he said, well, I'm doing it for a lease. And that almost brought Williams to tears. Um, uh, he, Tyree sent at least one of his game jerseys with a, with a kind note, Buzz Williams, she said, sent her a, a very kind note said, saying she's supporting him. Devin Johnson, who I talked to said he sends her texts weekly with just kind of positive messages and uplifting quotes and stuff to, to go. She's doing better. She's through in her second round of chemo, she said. Uh, and she uh, is working, getting to work from home. So she's still meeting with student athletes virtually, keeping in contact and says she's just ready to get out of there and be done so she can get back to um, to ring that bell first, you know, as they do with a lot of oncology centers uh, after chemotherapy, but and after you go into remission, but also to get back and work with her student athletes and uh, got a lot of support because of what Tyrese Radford was going to be able to do and how that was amplified on the SEC network uh, with, with our story. Uh, she has a GoFundMe. If you want to reach out to that, we, we will have that in the story and you can, she already raised well past the amount, the $20,000 they were looking for as of, as of earlier this week, it was at 24,000. So really great story, really good look into the kind of person Tyrese Radford was and, and a look at some of these people who help these athletes behind the scenes that you don't necessarily see on, on the TV. Absolutely. Absolutely. Heck, heck of a story and glad, glad you're able to tell that Travis and uh, hear from Tyrese and Elise. And uh, just, you know, prayers up to Elise as she battles her, her fight against cancer and uh, hope to hear some good news here Apparently. in the coming months about it. So, but hey, um, this is going to be a big week coming up for AM basketball. Uh, playing at Kentucky on Saturday at Auburn in the midweek next week. You know, Travis, AM's 5 0. And you look, at, you look at where the schedule was and you say, okay, they probably could have or should have won four games. Got a, got a really good win over a pretty hot Missouri team who beat Arkansas last night. Kind of surprised. Arkansas won in five. I, I did mm-hmm. not see that coming. I mean, they were, they looked really sharp earlier uh, in, in the season heading into conference play. But nonetheless, AM on the road against Kentucky. I mean, it kind of seems like this is where you start seeing some measuring sticks being had uh, as they get into the, the heart and the thick of conference play. There was a lot. There's a lot of similarities to the way things started out last year, and and, and I think yesterday was a proving point that this team probably has taken an, the next step up. I mean, they started last season four and zero in conference play, and then they had that big matchup against Kentucky and Reed Arena, where they packed the house. There was fourteen thousand. It was nuts environment, and they played them really well, but they lost, and that was kind of the start of that eight game skid. Um, that that really changed the complexion of the season last year. Yesterday, it wasn't quite Kentucky where Kentucky was last year, but Florida was a, a team that, uh, that that was in the top fifty uh, in when you look at most ranking uh, uh, systems, and and it was a home uh, bout that had the students back for the first time. They were packed up to the absolute nosebleeds yesterday. Uh, I think there was about three hundred short of a sellout. 
um, yesterday. It was loud. I'm, you know, uh, our, our photographer, Logan Hannigan down showed me how to do the little decibel reader on my Apple watch. So I got to see it was, a. it got up to 110 when Tyrese Radford threw down that breakaway dunk, but, but they won that game. They didn't win that game against Kentucky last year. So they moved Mm -hmm. to five and zero. now they're going to go face Kentucky on the road. Interestingly enough, first time that they've gone to Rupp Arena since Buzz Williams has been uh, the head coach down here in Aggieland. So that's going to be an interesting test, but it's it's a very different Kentucky team than that has been around in a long time. They're they're very up and down. I mean, uh, they they dropped out of the, the top 25. If you look at Bart Torvik, who has kind of a tool that analyzes week to week and game to game on by algorithms, who who could what the the the, the field of 68 could possibly look like and as of last night Kentucky is out of the field right now and a few teams back from being the last four in um but they had a big win against Tennessee who's one of the blue bloods of the conference right now That's uh right. At, at Tennessee so they're coming off of a big win there uh and, and maybe riding the ship it's going to be an interesting test it'll be one of their tougher road test just because of Rupp, what Rupp Arena is but when you look at what they did in non-conference, this could be a good indicator of if they've grown since Missouri, I mean, Memphis, because Memphis was a pretty rowdy atmosphere and a team that's probably a little bit better, or like at the time was playing a little bit better than, than Kentucky is playing right now. Um, it'll be a great, interesting test. We talk about Dexter Dennis, the rebounding. Kentucky enters ranked number two in that offensive rebounding percentage. So AM's eight. They're a better offensive rebounding team. A lot of that has to do with Oscar Shibway, who is the SEC player preseason player of the year this year. Uh, a, a good, good prospect and a good player. Um, how they'll be able to handle him will be interesting, but they were able to handle Colin Castleton, who's a big, good post player. And then they'll probably look like a, a decently similar strategy. Um, it's going to be a fascinating study. It's going to be a great game. Uh, it's going to be one that I think AM should win. I think going in the season, you would think nine nah, if they win Kentucky, it's icing on the cake. I think this is a game that they should be able to win and probably should be expected to win. I haven't looked at the line yet to see who actually is the favorite. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Kentucky just because it's at home, uh, but it would probably sure. be close. Um, but, uh, it's a game that they probably should win and it, it'd probably be a resume booster because you'd think there's a chance Kentucky turns it around, wins a few more wins and is, is back in the tournament field. And, and it's another, could be another one of those important quad, it'd be tough to get back maybe into quad one, but quad two wins in the season. Yeah. As it stands right now, Kentucky, their net is 40. So it would be a quad one win yes. tomorrow or Saturday. Yes. Um, and, you know, you, you, you mentioned Bart Torvik. Uh, I was looking at Joe Lenardi. He has Kentucky as the first team out of the field of 64. A&M is the fourth team out. Uh, Florida going into Wednesday's game was in the next four out. They've now fallen a little further. You know, in, these are the games, Travis, it seems that, you know, A&M's got two wins over Florida who could end up being a bubble team. They're playing Kentucky on the road. You know, Kentucky's up and down could be a bubble team, even though they're a historic blue blood. These are the games in six weeks we're going to be looking back on and saying, hey, what did they even do in, in these in these kind of contests? And, you know, you talk about the plus minus system. It, it seems like Ames got a chance to go up another plus, And I think that would be what plus two based on Buzz's plus minus system at the, to this point. Yeah, exactly. Because um, they won uh, at Florida, which is a plus one held serve LSU, held serve Missouri, plus two at South Carolina. They're at plus two right now. 
going away to Kentucky, we put them at plus three. And, and by that system, which plus for a road win, uh, zero for a road loss, zero for a home win, minus one for a home loss, as you should win your home games, lose your road games. He said plus three, plus four is what he believes they'll need to get into the tournament. It's a little bit oversimplifying, but that's how he's conveying it to his players to not make them too worried, too focused in on everything that's going on uh, in that situation. But yeah, uh, they're going on a stretch here where they're not going to be favored necessarily maybe to win a game until, uh, well, they'll have Vanderbilt in the middle, but they get back to Georgia because it's Kentucky. It's at, at Kentucky. Uh, at Auburn, um, home Vanderbilt, and at Arkansas. This is probably going to be the toughest stretch of the season, save maybe the last four games when they have uh, Tennessee and Alabama in a stretch um, there. So this is, yeah, this is going to be the... Those are three of the toughest places to play in the conference when you look at Kentucky, what Auburn's become, and Arkansas is always a very difficult place to play at. Right, right. It's, there's... It's been an interesting season because I think a lot of the teams that a lot of people thought might be at the top of the pack aren't at the top of the pack right now, but it's still early and and teams can go on a little run as AM did late in the season last year. Uh, and um, all of these places are, 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 are tough to play. So I, this is really going to be the meat of the schedule right here. Um, if they can get through this with a couple more wins, um, maybe maybe two to three more wins. Um, they'll be in good position because they need to be in good position as they hit in the season, as I don't think anybody really will expect them to beat Tennessee and Alabama uh, come there and in a, a, a mirror game against Auburn, too. You know, one, you know, one more thing on this Kentucky game, because you mentioned Oscar Sheepway, and, you know, it seemed like one of the things that kind of hindered A&M against Florida was the fact that Henry Coleman was in foul trouble, especially in that first half, didn't didn't play a ton uh, in the first half against Florida, you know. Julius Marble, he has been, it seems, uh, really effective on the offensive end. Certainly was against Florida, going up against Castleton. But you talk about rebounding and, and on defense, Coleman's kind of been the guy. Uh, he leads the team in rebounds at 104. And I, I'm curious to see, you know, how, how, how does Kentucky go at Coleman uh, coming off the game where, you know, he was he kind of had a limited role in a lot of ways. Yeah, out at the, end. the good news is AM has some options. So Julius Marble actually started on Castleton defending him early in the game. They, they switched back and forth between Henry Coleman. But you have some guys on the bench who are, are defensive studs who still need to either that's their role or they still need to kind of pick up other parts of their game. And that's Anderson Garcia and Solomon Washington. Solomon Washington is actually an outstanding defender. And, and as you've seen, especially late in the game, he was using Solomon Washington as that defensive sub at times to, to, to guard Castleton. He's tall. He can move well. Um, and, and when I talked to his uh, trainer, his high school trainer before this, they called him, uh, as we've said before, the, the five-star stopper. He was the guy that they said he was going to get his scholarship by the way he played defense and then develop the other parts of his game. He, he's an outstanding defender, and I could definitely see them using him some on Sheway. But with a guy like Castleton, with a guy like Sheway, it's going to depend a lot on double teams and how some guards can check down and, and cause some havoc and bump those guys um, as they're getting the ball, uh, it's not just a one-man effort when you're talking about those kind of guys. Well, well, Adam's got a big test on Saturday, and uh, we'll have some coverage at theeagle.com. Isn't that right, Charles? That's right. Always we will. All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of My Nation Podcast. And uh, be sure to follow all of Travis's coverage at Adam and Basketball at theeagle.com. So, until next week, we'll see you next time.